Welcome back to another episode of Dudes from Davey. For now, that's our name. We're, we're still working on some others. I'm here with my co-host, Stefan Miller. Stefan? Good afternoon, everybody. We're looking forward to this episode on this summer Friday. Absolutely. So, you know, we've thrown around a lot of topics. I think one that we've landed on that we're pretty passionate about, that we think will be pretty fun right now, is talking about our least favorite owners today and in history. Um, I'm going to start off, and I, I think I think the best format here is we're going to just do a little rapid fire. We're going to throw names back and Agreed. forth, and then we're just going to say what kind of comes to our mind, and then we'll, we'll dig in a little deeper, okay? Yep, sounds so, good. So I'm going to start with an easy one, Stefan. This one I think is on everyone's list, but I know this one's near and dear to your heart, is uh, James Dolan. Mm, mm, real fan favorite. Real fan favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, the quick adjectives that come to mind are uh, despicable, uh, absentee landlord, um, irritating, uh, incompetent. Uh, the list really could go on. I mean, this is a man who single-handedly gave the keys to the castle to Isaiah Thomas to run the franchise. So I'm not quite sure, um, you know, where, what else I could say about him besides the Knicks have been terrible for two decades, and now we're going into our third. Um, we barely make the playoffs. We make terrible decisions. We're one of the laughingstocks of the NBA, and I think it's, it's, really, it's really due to many of James Dolan's decisions and just really his involvement as an owner. You know, he's too involved, and he's made too many important decisions. And the flip side is the fact that he also owns the Rangers, who have had tremendous success over the last two decades, seem to flourish under his ownership because he doesn't get involved. That's an interesting point in terms of expertise and getting involved. There's a, a tenth, that, that will be a trend, I think, that will flow through this. Let me, let me ask you one more quick, quick question about James Dolan. So, he became an owner through succession, correct? Was his father was the owner? That is correct. Okay. And this is all, and obviously part of a bigger company. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's it, it's an interesting topic as we talk about these owners and how they how they come into their their powerful positions and and why why that has such an impact on the teams. So, okay. So James Dolan, we could talk about that for a really long time yep. and maybe we will, maybe we'll have our own podcast on that. No, but it's going to be, it's my turn right now to fire one at you yep. uh, that I know, you know, you lie awake at night thinking about, uh, which is Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling. He's a, he's in the hall of fame. He's a, he is a special owner. Um, and what, what's amazing about Donald Sterling is the worse he did, the more money he made which is, I think, an issue in all of professional sports. Uh, I think he really highlighted what it means to be an absolute despicable owner. Uh, and then we learned, and we, we kind of knew, but we learned firsthand that he's beyond a despicable human being. Um, and rightfully so, he was thrown out of the NBA as an owner, uh, forced to sell his team. Yeah, quick question. Was he forced to sell his team underneath, under Adam Silver's leadership, or was that still David Stern? It was Adam Silver. It was one of it was one of the first things Adam Silver that's right ever did, and, and I think it actually really helped Adam Silver um, build respect between amongst the teams, the players. Agree. You know. Agree. Um, 
because it was really an unprecedented move, but it was an unprecedented situation. You know, he 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 ran a team solely for cash flow, um, and really didn't put the right people in, in the right place. And, and the other amazing thing too is like, as we just talked about James Dolan, and now we're talking about Donald Sterling. Is these aren't just owners in like some small markets. These are owners in huge, huge markets, and they already know that. You know, they're going to continue to make money so long as they're in these towns. Mm-hmm. Um, so the incentive for them to, you know, kind of run these teams to win, um, really, I don't know, is really there. Or they just can't get out of their own way. Yeah, and not for nothing. I think it's interesting, we didn't even plan this, that the first two owners we put on our, you know, worst owners list are two of the, maybe the two largest markets in all of sports, which are New York and Los Angeles, which is super interesting because obviously you can go to the smaller markets and we will and we'll pick a, a few owners that are equally as despicable but the fact that the first two that came to our mind are the two largest markets in almost all of sports really speaks to you know why does an owner become an owner is it succession is it did he did he earn his way to the top and I think we'll get into some owners and, and maybe we'll throw in a couple great owners at the end just to balance this all out right. what, what one last one really quick point on Donald Sterling is he basically bought the team around the same time as Jerry Buss, right, for similar dollars. The Lakers are worth considerably more, but what Donald Sterling did, which was absolutely amazing, is he probably added a half a billion dollars to his value just by being racist on a tape. So uh, it's, it's really amazing that uh, he was able to benefit in that way. Um, but, yeah, that's, that he, he's in the Hall of Fame, an all-time great. Very true. Very true. So I think the next owner I'll throw out you is Jerry Jones. Jerry. Now Jerry's controversial, as we all know, but you know, and there's pros and cons. So you know, what do you think? So, so Jerry Jones is a very interesting one because I do think he has been important in adding value to the league. Um, he does take an active role within the league. And, and I do think he does add, you know, a little extra to the – and the Dallas Cowboys add a little extra pizzazz. But the problem with the Dallas Cowboys is they're still living off of what they did 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jerry Jones is just an absolute example of meddling where he doesn't need to meddle. Um, and, you know, Jimmy Johnson, that whole situation. Just the fact that they've been really, really subpar for 30 years is amazing. And, and he really did break up an absolutely unbelievable team. Uh, he had he had the Irvin Smith and Aikman, uh, you know, triumphant. Yeah, I mean, look, I I wasn't upset about that as an Eagles fan because <laughs> they were they were beating us down all the time, um, but I respected that team. I, I felt like they were put together well. It seemed like they were running well, but you know, another theme is just ego. Ego gets in the way. Um, but I think Jerry. Jerry's not a good team owner, but I think he's pretty good for the NFL in general. And if he could just step away a little bit, mm-hmm. I think his I think he'd be much better off. It's just very hard for him to do. Yeah, I think just to add on, I, you know, agree with all of that. I think Jerry, unfortunately, uh, not completely dissimilar in personality to George Steinbrenner. Um, Jerry wants to win badly. Jerry likes the headlines. He says inflammatory, makes inflammatory comments. He has his entire family working for the team. So he's got his sons and I believe like even, you know, um, 
you know, daughter-in-laws in positions where you might not just have those family members. And when it comes down to making personnel decisions, he's not just basing them on, you know, what should be the, for the betterment of the team. You know, he's given out contracts. I mean, he kept on um, the offensive coordinator. Uh, what's, what's his name again? Uh, Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett yep. He kept him on for years after when most people thought he should have been kept on. And I really think that was a significant you know, detriment to running that offense. So, yeah, Jerry is uh, – but Jerry's special. He is unique. Um, he has a lot of money. His team is worth most in football. Uh, yeah. He, he, they are – I think they're the most valuable franchise in sports. Quite. I think, I think they still are. So that, that also speaks to the fact that they've been subpar for a very long time, yet they're still considered what's called America's team, and I, I really don't get it. But the, the value of the team is, is always the highest on Forbes. Yeah, agree. All right, well, who's next? All right, Stefan, I'm going to throw one at you. Clay Bennett of the oh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Clay Bennett. Well, I mean, you know, talk about your modern-day uh, definition of a traitor. Uh, this guy told everybody in Seattle he wasn't going to move the team. He got my word, rest assured, and uh, rest assured he did exactly that. Not only did he move the team, not only did he trim payroll, when he stepped into the, you know, what I call the shit fortune that was Durant, Harden, and Westbrook, and all he had to do was pay Harden to stay to keep the trio together after just making the Western Conference Finals, uh, he did not. He let Harden go for, I think, a de minimis amount of money, and ergo the history and the unraveling of this franchise which has now been in rebuilding mode for the last five to seven years with, you know, an incredible GM, if you like stockpiling picks and Sam Presti. So the Thunder have, you know, 35 picks over the next several years. They do have a good young core right now. Don't get me wrong. They'll be fun to watch on League Pass. But I think, you know, as a fan of basketball, it is really hard to watch an owner take the team away from a great NBA city, which we all believe Seattle will be, be, will be reborn again in the next year or two. And then actually step into the fortune of having just tremendous talent in Westbrook, Harden, and Durant, and then breaking that up. Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting point regarding Sam Presti, who I think by, you know, anyone who knows anything about basketball will say he's, he's a top, he's a, definitely a top five GM um, in basketball. And the fact that, you know, here's an owner who hamstrings good talent. There's a difference between... Some teams just don't have good talent, and they're not willing to bring that in. They actually had it. He just can't get out of his own way. All right, I'm going to throw another one back at you. Ooh, this right. one, this this one is is special and near and dear to my heart. And I think I think Stefan will do a really good job at critiquing this one. We're going to go to the gridiron, and we're going to talk about Daniel Snyder. Oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> exactly. This guy, I don't. It is. It, it blows my mind. That as we sit here in 2022, we're about to discuss an owner who, for all intents and purposes, oversees a a bordello, if you will. <laughs> he legitimately has several female employees on the record as saying Paul Allen and others sexually harass us. He has on record players who have gone out of their way to say this is not a good team. It is not a good culture. Dan Snyder doesn't know what he's doing. And you know what's great? The proof is in the pudding. Look at the results. Where have they gone in the last 20 years? Nowhere. How many times have they made the playoffs? 
once or twice? Was it because, you know, Taylor Heineke got lucky? This team is absolutely an abomination. Uh, we could go through some of their signings that have just imploded in their face. We could also go through some of the quarterbacks and the star defensive players that have just begged to leave the team. Um, I will say, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, Lon, how is it in this day and age of technology, electronic email uh, tracking, you know, the case against him seems like almost airtight. Who's protecting him? Why is he staying in power? You know, how come he hasn't been forced out like Donald Sterling? It's interesting. You know, and some of it goes to commissioners and the and the types of owners that are in place in each of these leagues, too. You know, when you look at the NBA, Adam Silver has definitely changed things in the NBA culture. Um, and I think some of the owners that they bring in um, tend to be a little bit more progressive, I guess. The NFL is still lagging behind in a lot of areas. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, the owners still run these leagues. The commissioner's just in place. Absolutely. They, they work for, for the owners. So He's an employee. They, the commissioners are employees. So I think Daniel Snyder does have a lot of, a lot of power within the NFL circles. I, I don't know if it goes as far as the fact he's in Washington, D.C., and maybe there's some political aspects to this as well. Possibly. I don't Possibly. know. Possibly. But somehow he has the ability to be elusive, more so than some others. And I don't know if he's liked by a certain people, certain number of people or not in the right place, but Donald Trump was hated by everyone. I, I will tell you, and this is – I think this is pretty well known, so I'm certainly you know not breaking news here. Uh, he is a mentee, if you will, of Jerry Jones. So they are close. Uh, they have a real relationship. So – I'm just, you know, I'm not, you know, coming up with conspiracy theories here. I'm just saying that so the most powerful owner in football is very friendly with potentially the worst owner in football. And the worst owner in football continues to get a pass for not only his employees' behavior, his own behavior, and his players' behavior. So it's just upsetting. Yeah. You know, it, 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 this all goes to, I don't know, do, do we want to name, name some more or do we want to get into a little bit? of a broader top, which we're not going to cover all of it today. Maybe it'll be another pod as well. No, I, I think let's, 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 for the next couple of minutes, why don't we dive into the broader implications of all this? So here, here's the issue. I think you see a common theme between everything that we've just discussed, which is, you know, you have a lot of owners who have a lot of money. They pay a lot of money for these teams. They own them like their companies. The problem is what is the incentive for some of them really want to win and some of them, you know, really get what the value here is to win. But a lot of them understand just being a part of their associations, being a part of their leagues, you know, the, the tide rises all boats um, and they're just going to hang in there. And some will, you know, continue to try to collect a little bit more cash flow. But like, you know, the thing that bothers me the most, and I think I know it bothers you too, Stephen, we've talked about this at length, is like, what is there in place to make sure an owner does right by their fans um, by the players, by everyone. Because while it is a company that they own and they're very wealthy and they're in a position to be able to do that, it's bigger than that. It's not just some random company. It represents a city and they're part of a league. Um, and parity has to be there. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't know the answers to this, but what are, what are your thoughts on this? No, I mean, I think it's, you know, you, you really laid it out well. Uh, 
I think that you could go through each major sport. Let's, for all intents and purposes, count the big four, right? Baseball, hockey, hockey, football, and basketball. We can go into, you know, what the cap, you know, what the salary caps look like. And, you know, how do these teams do, how do they make money? And how many teams have failed to make the playoffs in each sport? Mm-hmm. How, how many years in a row? And what have they done to stem that tide? What have they done to get better? Look, there are a lot of teams that have tried to get better. Don't get me wrong, and they just can't get it right, okay? I mean, you want to talk about the Detroit Lions? What a sad story. But it's not for lack of trying. They do bring in free agents. They have now. We can get into what happened with Barry Sanders. Right. We can get into what happened with Calvin Johnson. Right. So clearly, you know, even though they were trying to win, uh, there's, there's, they've had some major issues with two of their most famous players. But then you get into some other owners where, to your point, maybe there should be a stricter set of benchmarks that every team has to hit. Just like, you know, public companies, IBM, Apple, et cetera, they have, you know, uh, shareholders, right? Aren't there shareholders or shareholder-like people in these sporting franchises that can say, hey, listen, we have to spend a minimum of X in order to demonstrate to everybody that we want to win. It's not just about the concessions. It's not just about the merchandise. So I think you brought up a point, which is we might have to, you know, there may have to be something tweaked in some of these sports in order to continue to foster the parity and the competitive, you know, and streamline the competitiveness across all the teams. Yeah, I mean, you, that's, that's a really, those are really great points. And, you know, as you were speaking, it's funny, like, I, you know, I think of how, you know, you open up the can of worms because then it's like, okay, well, this team is in this city and this team's in this city and this owner, you know, Steve Ballmer has, you know, a $25 billion net worth, yet someone else has a $4 billion net worth. So do they do they really give a shit about going over the luxury and this and that? So then it's like, okay, well, there's not parity on the owner level as well, you know, just in terms of where they are and, you know, and, and where they are from a financial standpoint. So... How can you make it so that, hey, maybe I, maybe me as an owner, I'm trying my best, but like I have everything working against me. How could you kick me out after 10 years or something? Let's say like there was a rule where, okay, there was a term where you didn't do certain things and you don't get the next term. You know, it's it's a very complicated thing, especially with the cap and all that stuff. So it's, it it opens up a can of worms to a Mm -hmm. degree, but I think generally speaking, there, there should be something in place where the owners, this isn't just like, I, I was, as we said before, this is, this is actually an interesting thing. Is like owning a professional sports franchise in America is like being knighted in England, right? Like it's like it's like a rite of passage that you are like in this club. But like not everyone needs to be owning a sports franchise, you know? Like maybe they did really well making money somewhere else, but this is a totally different animal. And, you know, it's maybe they need to be vetted a little bit more, Um you know, try to get the right people in these in these franchises. Yeah, I think, you know, some really strong points right there. And I think that, you know, it does open up a huge Pandora's box and every sport is a little bit different, right? Nuances. But, you know, you take a quick example of like Jeffrey Loria, okay? His team, you know, call it lucky, not lucky, wins two World Series, 97 and 03, which is just remarkable for what's considered to be a small market team And what does he do after each World Series? He absolutely guts the team. Guts it. And I mean, literally trades the best and the brightest to everybody else. 
And so now, since 2003, right, the, the Marlins have had very little success, okay? They're, they're mired in a situation where they have all this young talent, and then it's time for the second contract. And, you know, obviously, the ownership has changed, but nobody wants to sign them to another $50, $100 million contract because it's hard to get people to go to the games, which means you don't have the, the ticket sales, which means you don't have the receipts, and I get it. But I just think that, I think you and I are, are on to something that I think others are discussing, which is it's just really unfortunate for many cities who have owners of sports teams that just don't seem to give enough of a crap about the fan base. Correct. I think it really comes down to that. And look, it is a business, no question about it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, every player learns that. They all learn. Everyone is replaceable to a degree. The owners need to be somewhat replaceable as well. Mm. Uh, it's a privileged owner, a like, sports franchise. I like it. I like it. So, you know, look, everyone needs to be accountable to someone. Um, and when the person running the league works for you and your buddies, it's a it, it, it doesn't create something that's, you know, probably the most competitive landscape. So, you know, that that again, that conversation can go on for a very long time. And we'll probably have it after this recording <laughs> much longer. But um, no, this was fun. Look, I mean, and I, and I think just to we'll put a bow on this, even though I think we'll unwrap something next time. I think. You know, we're, we're entering a new paradigm of sports where the players have a louder voice. The players are really, you know, starting to determine where they want to play. And I think this is a bigger topic. I think profit sharing. I think the whole uh, NIL uh, compensation for high school athletes and college athletes. So I think, you know, without just, you know, basically vomiting all these topics and, you know, but basically just saying sports, as we know, it, professional sports are changing. And I think other things are going to have to change with them, and they're just not going to be the accepted norm anymore. I agree with all of that, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up right now, and uh, we're looking forward to to the next topic, and we'll see you all soon. Enjoy the weekend. Take care. Mm-hmm.